The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. You can take your Bibles or your phones or your iPads, whatever you use, and turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 will be our text for this morning. Two weeks ago, I began this message, and I'm going to try to conclude it today. i got a lot of stuff to get through, and I'm aware of the time. I'll keep an eye on the clock, and we'll just believe God to help us get there. This morning, we're talking again about our reasonable service. I want to talk to you about the cross and why it's important to you and I today. Now, this may not be a typical Palm Sunday message, but I believe it should be the message of every believer every day of our lives. If not for Calvary, we have no hope whatsoever. But because of the cross, because Jesus chose to die for you and me, we have hope for today, tomorrow, and all of eternity. Amen? So let's talk about the cross this morning. So many times in our society and our culture today, we want to pretty up the cross. We want to make, something, make it something that looks absolutely wonderful and amazing and marvelous. I'm here to tell you the cross is ugly. The cross is a horrible instrument of torture and death. No one that ever hung on the cross came off the cross alive. They all died. You realize that, correct? It was meant to be an instrument of death by the Roman government. And Paul said to the Corinthians, I die daily. To the Galatians, he said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. We need to understand the cross is all about death. That one died for all, so that all who believe on him could then live through his death and through his sacrifice. When we talk about the cross, it's not an easy thing. It's not a convenient thing. It's not a popular thing. All of us would rather talk about anything rather than the cross. But I'm here to tell you, without the cross, we have nothing. Without the cross, we are nothing. Without the cross, we have no future. So when we look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, we really believe that Paul is saying, if you haven't really lived the Word, then you haven't really learned the Word. Because when we learn the Word and we understand that we too must die daily, then we must live that out on a daily, regular basis. Kind of reminds me of the story of the old farmer that came to town for the first time, checked into a grand hotel and He and his son were a bit uh, befuddled, confused, when they walked over to the elevator bank. They really didn't know what it was. They were standing there, and all of a sudden, a little old lady on a walker and a cane hobbled up to the elevator, pushed the button, the doors opened, she went in. A few minutes later, they were surprised, astounded, amazed when the same doors opened and a 25-year-old gorgeous blonde walks out. The farmer's looking at the door, looking at the blonde, looking at the door, looking at the blonde, and finally says to his son, quick son, go get your mother. I've come to tell you, transformation only occurs at the cross. Transformation only occurs at the cross. So my question to you this morning is, what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Is what you're living for, the priorities of your life, the things that drive you and motivate you, Worth Christ's death on the cross. We need to understand the words that we're about to read are some of the most important and powerful words ever penned in the history of Scripture. So look with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Let me say it again. The cross is an instrument of transformation. We need to remember that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When I read those words, I have to think these are words to live by. These are words that if we will embrace them and apply them, can bring victory to our lives on a daily basis. They are capable of leading us to new heights and new places in the kingdom of God if we will simply apply these two verses. Words to live by. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul devotes it to heavy-duty theology. He's dealing with things like our sin and God's salvation. He's dealing with all types of issues that pertain to doctrine and to theology. But when he turns to chapter 12 and begins writing verse 1, he's moving from doctrine, he's living to liveology. It's not a matter of what we believe, it's a matter of what we do with what we believe. Can you say amen? Matter of fact, the first two letters of doctrine are do. Did you realize that? So you can have the best doctrine in the world, but if you don't apply it, if you don't live it out, it's pretty much pointless in your life. Paul is calling us to positions of action through these two verses, from doctrine to duty, from belief to behavior, from creed to conduct, it is what is calling us in these passages of Scripture. Matter of fact, if I could boil it down and give a new title to Romans 12, 1 and 2, it would be this. In light of what God has done for you, this is how you should live. In light of Calvary, in light of the cross, in light of the fact that God sent His only begotten Son, died on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven and you could have everlasting life, then this is what you should do. This is how you should live. So He wants us to turn our theology into an active, everyday lifestyle where we embody the life of Jesus Christ and we live out our beliefs. So my question to you this morning is, what do we do with the gift that God has given to us? How do we handle the gift of the cross? How do we handle the gift of Jesus Christ? What do we do with what God has given to us? I know people will say, show up on Sunday morning, that's enough. Is it really? I kind of doubt that it is. I think that's where we begin, it's not where we end. Can you say amen? Listen to me. You can come to church every day of your life and spend 10 hours a day in a sanctuary, but until you come to the cross and encounter a Savior who died for your sins, your life will not be transformed. Church doesn't change anybody. Jesus Christ does. We need to remember that. I don't care what label you wear. Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, non-denominational, the label doesn't matter. If you don't come through way of the cross, you're not getting there. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So let's look at what's our response to this great gift of Jesus Christ. Look at it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He said, we are to present. Present. It's an interesting choice of words that Paul uses in this passage of Scripture. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. For this is your, say it with me, reasonable service. For this is your, say it one more time, 
reasonable service. For this is your reasonable service. I want those two words to drive into your spirit. I want you to understand this isn't tough. It isn't hard. It isn't outrageous. It isn't beyond what I should be asked to do. It is my reasonable service. My reasonable service. So Paul says first we should present our bodies. Present our bodies. Now interesting to me, he didn't choose to use the words yield or surrender. Now those are both biblical terms, aren't they? We read them throughout Scripture, yield, surrender. We know it again and again and again. We understand those terms, but those two terms imply a degree of reluctance. It may not be what I want to do. How many of you like roundabouts? Anybody? You like roundabouts that are on the streets nowadays? They're coming to Tallahassee. There's a few around. I hate those things. You know why I hate those things? Because they force me to yield to the traffic coming around the roundabout. I may be faster than they are. I don't want to wait on them. Drive me absolutely nuts when somebody's doing five mile an hour in a roundabout. Are you kidding me? I've got things to do and places to be, and you're slowing me down. But i got to yield because I'm in the roundabout. It's not what I want to do. It's what I have to do. I yield. Now, guys, this is for you. Some of you hate to yield that remote control. It just drives you nuts. You can't stand it. And I'm right there with you, Yvonne will tell you, I seldom yield that remote control. I'll never yield that remote control when there's a ball game on the TV. Because I'm afraid if I yield it to her, we may be watching the DIY network again. Chip and Joanna Gaines, again. Property Brothers, again. No, I don't want to yield that thing. See, yield implies reluctance. And the other word he didn't use was surrender. He didn't say you need to surrender your bodies as a living sacrifice because surrender also implies reluctance. I really don't want to do that, but I have to do that in order to get where he wants me to go. That's not what he said. You know, when uh, Bryce, who was playing the drums for us, he's a part of the sheriff's SWAT team. And I guarantee you, if Bryce showed up in his SWAT gear and he said, halt, I'm going to halt. If he said, put up your hands, I'm going to put up my hands. If he said, surrender, I'm going to surrender. Even though it may not be what I want to do, it's what I'm going to do. Sometimes when Yvonne and I are driving on long trips, she'll say, you want me to drive? Of course, in my heart, I'm thinking, no, not really. I want to stay in control. But my old body says, yeah, that would be great. I'll surrender those keys to you. Not long ago, Chris Anna Rivera and Yvonne and I, and I think it was Andrew, were going to Chi Alpha down at Florida State, and I was harassing her and harassing her about her driving. Call her evil Knievel every now and then. I mean, you need to stay off the street and get out of her way. She learned from her dad, there's only one way to drive, pedal to the metal. Wears out more brakes than anybody I've ever met. I'm just harassing her, you understand that, okay? So I'm telling Chris these stories and Andrew these stories, and we pull back up to the church, and we're coming across Shara Road, and uh, I didn't pay a lot of attention, and I started to pull out, and all of a sudden there's a car right there. So I floored that Ford pickup and zoomed across the intersection. Chris is in the back saying, yeah, evil Knievel. Yeah, we know who that really is. <laughs> Surrender. Giving up something you don't want to give up. Yielding control. Forcibly being pushed into a position you don't want to be in. But Paul didn't use those two words, did he? He didn't say, yield your bodies. He didn't say, surrender your bodies. He said, present your bodies. 
You know, there's no greater time, no greater joy that comes to my heart than when I can bring home a bouquet of flowers and give them to this beautiful lady. And I present them to her. When I can get her something that she really, really wants and know it's coming from love for her and present them to her. When we gather around the grandkids at Christmas time and they open those presents and I see the smiles and the laughs and the giggles because we have presented something to them. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Paul didn't say don't do this begrudgingly. He said do this because it's an act of service. Do this because he first loved you and you now love him. Do this because it is your, say it with me, reasonable service in light of what he has done. Matter of fact, you can read it in Romans chapter 14 where Paul uses the same verb translated present to say one day we will present ourselves before the bema seat of Christ. We will offer ourselves and our lives to him and we hope that that day we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. So he's telling us to present ourselves to Jesus Christ, our bodies to God, to present who we are. Now, so many times we focus this down into, well, I am a spiritual man and all that God cares about is my spirit. I'm telling you, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says just the opposite. He says, take control of that physical life, present that physical body as an offering, willingly, graciously, lovingly before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why am I saying that? Because it affects the way we live. It affects the way we play out our salvation on a daily basis. See, Paul is really saying that if you have been set free by grace, then by grace, present your life. Present your body as a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. Beliefs, he says, should impact behavior. Did you get that? Beliefs should impact behavior. The first two letters of doctrine, one more time, are do, belief should impact behavior. He's making that very clear to us. So he challenges us to present our body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. So let's look at that very quickly. He said we should present our bodies first as a living sacrifice. Now in the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was brought for someone's sins, they brought a live animal, right? They put the animal on the altar and they slew that animal and the blood of that animal then covered their sins. But in the New Testament, we bring a living sacrifice. We bring someone who is now alive in Jesus Christ. Someone who was once dead in our trespasses and sins, but now alive through the life of Jesus. Are you guys with me this morning? Do you hear what I'm saying? We bring a living sacrifice. And it's not my breath in my body. It's the life in my spirit that makes me alive. It's not that I was born. It's that I was reborn through Jesus Christ that makes me alive. Every one of us outside of Jesus are dead men walking. But when we come to him, we are living men dying every single day. Oh, come on, church. Get it in your spirit because it is your reasonable service. Reasonable service. Present your body as a living sacrifice. We must live to die, and once we die to ourselves, then we live in a new life every single day. Now, there's no doubt in my mind. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to raise your hands. No doubt in my mind that there are dozens of you in this room who, if the opportunity was in front of you, would take a bullet for Jesus Christ. No doubt in my mind. But the problem is that those same ones of us 
don't want to die to ourselves every day and live to Him. See, we can be brave in a moment, but to be brave for a lifetime. To be brave day after day after day after day. In a moment when the adrenaline is flowing, I'm a believer. Take my life. I don't care. I'm going to heaven. But in the mundane of daily life, when the boss is pressuring and the spouse is mad at you and the kids are misbehaving, do you still offer yourselves as a living sacrifice? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Second thing he says, that sacrifice should be holy. Holy means set apart, separated unto God. Separated from the philosophy of the world, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Separated from those things that contaminate the life of the believer. Now again, what's supposed to be holy? We are to present what? Our bodies. I'm not preaching the clothesline. I'm not preaching legalism. I'm just saying when you come to Christ, He's going to change who you are on the outside, just like He changes who you are on the inside. Love the way you're shouting now. I'm going to preach it anyway. It really doesn't matter to me what you think. If you haven't learned that by now, you're a slow learner. Truth is truth whether you like it or not. It's a matter of whether you apply it. Say amen. Thank you for those that agree or at least said amen. See, we need to understand holy means set apart. Set apart from those things that displease God and set apart to those things that please God. I'm not going to give you 10 do's and don'ts. I don't believe in that stuff. I believe when we start telling you what you should and you shouldn't do, we're walking into the place of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, and I'm not going to live there. I'm going to live by the life of Jesus Christ that is in me, led by the Spirit every single day. Know that I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of the living God, and I want my life to be pleasing to Him. Holy means no idols, nothing else before Him. If you're ever here on a Thursday, you might be able to preview my outline, and Ann Gleaton did this last week. She made some suggestions. I liked it, actually. She said that word holy means nothing before God, no other idols. That's exactly right. Now, we say in America we don't have idols. Of course we do. Of course we do. Sometimes it's our bank account. Sometimes it's a car in the garage. Sometimes it's our vocation, our job, our title. Sometimes it's that family that sits around our dining room table every night. We all have idols we have to fight against. The greatest story I've ever read in the scripture about the power of God over idols is found in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. The Philistines were fighting against the Israelites. They captured the ark, the covenant of God, which represented the promise of God, the power of God, the presence of God. And they took it to the city of Ashdod and set it in the temple of Dagon. And the Bible says in the next day they went and that old idol Dagon had fell down on his face. Why? Because nothing's going to stand in the presence of God. Come on, church, hear me. If you're going to live a life that's holy unto God, nothing else can stand. He's going to talk to you about that stuff. And when he talks to you, listen and obey. So they set that old idol back up on his stand. They came back the next morning, and it fell over again. Its arms and its head were broken off. I can almost hear him. Dad, go on, look at that thing. It broke again. Come on, church. We need to understand nothing can stand in the presence of a mighty God. Nothing can stand in the presence of a holy God. Holy. And number three, he said it should be acceptable because when it's a living sacrifice... When it's a holy sacrifice, when that's who we are, then we become acceptable in the eyes of God. 
That word both in the Old and the New Testament speaks of what pleases the heart of God. So when you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy unto God, it pleases the heart of the Father. Now, I don't know about you, but I want God to be well pleased with me. Now, that doesn't mean I don't mess up. It doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. But it means when I do, I come back to the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse me from all sin. Somebody say amen. Acceptable unto God. Because that is your, one more time, reasonable service. Reasonable service. Matter of fact, when you look at the Greek, the, the word that's translated spiritual in the Greek is actually logikos, which means, or is translated in English as logical. So when we understand that, then we know that it really doesn't mean our spiritual service, but as the New King James says, our reasonable, our logical, our rational service to God. It's our normal response to what God has done for you and me. Paul is saying, if you consider everything that Jesus Christ has done, then the only reasonable response is to offer your life as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto him. He says, that is our response. So how do we do that? I hate preachers that tell us what to do without telling us how to do it, don't you? Hate that. So let me tell you how we do this. Number one, we resolve to worship God 24-7. He's the priority. He's first place in our lives. He's above my wife. He's above our kids. He's above even those grandkids. I know that's hard to believe. He's priority in our lives. First and foremost. And listen, we don't worship just when we come into a sanctuary. I got news for you. You can worship in your living room or in your bedroom. You can worship at your cubicle or in the mechanic shop. You can worship in your car, going down the highway. You can worship when you're mowing the grass. Come on, folks. It's about being a living sacrifice. Worship is 24-7. It's not something you do once a week. When we sing songs, we call it our worship service. I think that should be a misnomer. I don't know what to call it better, but... That's not our worship service. It's a time when we corporally set apart to exalt the name of Jesus. But when I leave this place, His worship should be burning in me. I should be on fire because God is alive in me. And I'm going to give Him glory and I'm going to give Him honor no matter where I go or what I've done. Come on. Live a life of worship. Declare every morning when your feet hit the ground, Lord, I'm yours. And I'm ready for what this day has in store for us. I'm ready for what you have planned for me today. Lead me where you want me to go. The second thing we can do is serve God, worship God by serving others. Serving others. By allowing his love to so shine through us, his sacrifice to be so alive in you and me that others see a difference in us. Find a brother or sister in need and help them. Don't just pray for them. I said, help them. Find a brother and sister in need and encourage them. Speak words of life into their spirit. Oh, come on, church. It's time to stop being critical and condemning and bring life and strength and hope and joy into the life of the body of Christ. Everybody can be a critic. That's not hard. But it takes a man or a woman of God who is presenting their body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, to be one who encourages one who looks through the bad and sees the good. One who understands love covers a multitude of sins. Would somebody say amen this morning? That's what God is calling us to. 
Because it is our reasonable service. Reasonable service. Seek out ways. Matter of fact, you say, I really don't know how to apply this, so let me help you. This next Saturday, are you ready, guys? This next Saturday, we're doing extravaganza. And we're not doing for this church. We don't need fun and games and carnival rides and bounce houses and candy and cotton candy, although some of you could probably use a sugar rush just before you come into church. Might pep you up a little bit. We may start thinking about that. Some of you need to be hooked up to an IV of sugar so you're happy all the time. But we're not doing extravaganza for us. We're doing it for a community. We're doing it for those little kids over at Seeley Elementary School who we feed every week because when they go home on Friday, they don't have any food until Sunday unless we give it to them. We're doing it for them. We're doing it for these folks that are going down to Chuck E. Cheese uh, once a month or once a year and celebrate a birthday. They need to know there is a greater birthday to celebrate, and that is Jesus Christ. See, we're doing it as an opportunity to bring people in. So when you leave this morning, your reasonable service is to pick up some door hangers. Hit every neighborhood in your block or two blocks or three blocks. Let them know. We got an event for you and your kids. Pick up some of these postcards. Put them in every public place. Someone told me last week, I saw them at the library over on Thomasville Road. Thank you, whoever did that. I don't know who it was, but thank you. And then when you leave today, pick up some of these signs. Go ahead and stand up with those signs, will you guys? Pick up some of those signs. Put them in your yard. Put them in your neighbor's yard. Put them in your kid's yard. Now, don't put them on city right away. Because they're going to pick them up and they're going to offer me a citation because we put a sign on their right away. Don't do that. But put them out where people see it. Invite everybody you know. Why? Because we want them to know there is a reason we are celebrating Easter Sunday morning. And it's not eggs and it's not bunnies. It's that he is alive. So be a part of that. Do what we're asking you to do as your reasonable service. Show yourselves through ministering to others. I don't have time to go into it, but write it down. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Read that entire passage. If you have the message, read it from the message. I'm just going to read one verse. Verse 17, well, maybe two or three. Verse 17 says, isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I love that. See, he's saying your doctrine without doing is of no value. Then verse 21, he said, use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? What am I saying? I'm saying you offer yourself as a living sacrifice by worshiping God 24-7 and by serving Him by serving others. Allowing Him to move in your heart and your life and touch someone else. So Paul said, first, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Secondly, we are to be renewed in our minds. Chapter 12, verse 2. He wants us to present our bodies, but he understands that the only way we can present our bodies is if our minds are transformed. Because a changed body happens from a changed mind. The mind controls the body. What I think and what I decide and the, the uh, processes I form in my mental ability and in my mind determine how I behave and how I act. So the mind controls the body. Notice in this passage of Scripture, he uses the word conformed. And conformed, he says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. The word conformed literally means a molded or a stamped according to a pattern. And when you read that, that verb is in the passive. And what it tells me is if we don't fight against confirmation to the world, we will surrender to confirmation to the world. There's a battle going on in each one of us, and it's a battle that rages in our mind. It's a battle that says, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to die every day. I'm going to hang my life on that cross. I'm going, to, I'm going to let him crucify me so I can live again. It's a battle that says, it's not what I want. It's what he wants. And every one of us fight it every single day. And I've got news for you. You're going to fight it every day that you got breath. You see, there's a lot of folks that think, well, if I come to the cross and I kneel and I accept Jesus, it's done, it's over. No, that's when the fight begins. Come on, that's when an enemy gets in your face. He tries to derail you. He tries to convince you it's not real. He tells you that everything that you heard is a bunch of pie in the sky. I got news for you. It's time to say, I know my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him on the latter day. It's time to say, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There's a battle going on. And it's between your ears. It's between your ears. And if you don't win the battle, you'll be conformed to the world. Be not conformed to the world. Don't be stamped or molded in the world's pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the world's philosophy is if you want something, get it. People are only important if they do something for you. If they don't do anything for you, then ignore them. You don't have time to waste with them. The world's philosophy is public opinion defines action. My God, what a mess we're in because of that. Can somebody say amen? Here, I'm here to tell you the church is not politically correct. The church is biblically correct. And nine times out of ten, the church will fly in the face of culture, not conform to culture. Well, that's my speech for what it's worth. Vote for godly men and women. Come on. It's in your mind. You make a decision in your mind, and then it plays out in your life. The world tells us faith is unrelated to everyday living. The world tells you, you want to go to church? Go right ahead. That's great. The devil tells you, I think it's wonderful that you believe in God. That's a wonderful thing for you to do. Just don't get radical. Just don't get out of control. Just don't get crazy. Don't be one of those religious kooks. What did James say about that? He said, you think you're something, and it's in James chapter 2, that passage I told you to read. You think you're something because you believe in God? Listen to this. He said, even the demons believe in God. Come on, folks. It's not enough to believe. you got to take that belief and translate it into everyday life. Because belief alters behavior. The battle's in your mind. The world tells you live for the moment. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about any consequences. Do what you want to do. What is comfort and convenient to you? The world tells you be tolerant. Be tolerant. We live in an age of tolerance. I'm going to tolerate what's in the Word of God, and if it's not aligning with the Word of God, I don't have much tolerance. And it really doesn't matter what you say. Come on, church, it's time to recognize there is right and there is wrong. And if we are not conformed to the world, not stamped or molded in its image or pattern, 
then we are not going to be those who identify, those who relate to, those who are marked by the ways of the world. The world says there is no absolute truth. Whatever you think is right is right. Whatever you think is correct is correct. Our kids have been taught that for two generations now. And we're seeing the result. Come on, folks, you think society just unraveled by itself? Absolutely not, because we have taken absolute truth out of our schools, out of our universities, and we have taught people there is no absolute truth. Whatever works for you is good, and it may not work for somebody else, but it's okay. I've come to tell you there is still a standard of truth and righteousness, and it is the living Word of God that guides and directs us day by day. And if we will follow the precepts and the principles contained in this holy book, God will cause us not to be like those around us. I'm going to challenge you this morning. Be a rebel. You probably never heard me say that before. Be a rebel. Rebel against the standards of the world. Rebel against the influences of society. Rebel against the culture. And determine to stand for Jesus Christ and be a living sacrifice. Transformed by Him. Transformed by Him. That's what Paul tells us. When you look at that word transformed, it's the Greek metamorpho. From it, we get the word metamorphos. Most of you have seen a tadpole in a mud hole that eventually metamorphs into a frog. You've seen a cocoon with a larvae or a worm in it that metamorphs into a butterfly. It's the same concept that Paul's talking about here, that we are to be transformed. We are to be metamorphosed day by day by day by day. And he uses the present tense, which tells us it's not a one-time event. But we are transformed again and again and again and again and again and again. Made into the image of Jesus Christ and into his likeness. Transformation is continuous. Second Corinthians 4.16, Paul said, The inward man is renewed day by day. That verb is present tense. Secondly, that verb is also passive. The implication is we can't transform ourselves. Hear me. We can't transform ourselves. Your church membership isn't going to do it. Your good deeds isn't going to do it. Your wonderful attitude and positive outlook isn't going to do it. Although I would rather you be positive than negative. Amen? But that ain't going to do it. See, what the verb is telling us, what the language is telling us, is that God is the catalyst in our transformation. It's the power of God at work in me. And again, Ann Gleaton made a little note for me, and I loved it. She said, catalyst in physics means a compound that is used to drive energy but never changes itself. Oh, do you hear that? You see, it changes something else, but it never changes itself. When God is at work in me, when transformation is occurring, when that metamorphosis is coming in my life, I am coming more in line with God. He's not changing. It's me who's changing. I got to stop there for just a moment. Because there's a whole lot of folks in the church that want God to conform to themselves. God conformed to me. My belief, my ideology, the way I was raised. Well, I got to tell you, God isn't in that business. He wants you to be metamorphosed. He wants you to be transformed again and again. 
under the power of God at work in you to make it happen. He isn't going to change to suit you is what I'm telling you. So if that's your game, you're in the wrong place. Come on, if that's your game, you're serving the wrong God. Because the God I serve isn't going to change to suit you. He's going to cause you to change to align with Him. So the Holy Spirit changes us and enables us to completely offer ourselves to God. And that takes place in the mind. And it transforms our outward bodies. So that our daily behavior becomes a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So, how do we renew our mind? Very quickly, saturate yourself in God's Word. Listen, folks, if you aren't reading the Word of God every day, you're missing the boat. I'm not a legalist, you know that by now. But you need to find some time in your day when you open the book or you scroll on your iPhone or your iPad or Android and you pull up the Word of God and you let words of life invade your soul, invade your mind, invade your thinking because it's by the Word you're transformed. Saturate yourself in the Word of God. Saturate yourselves in godly writers and teachers. Hear what God is speaking in them and through them. Come to church. Hear the Word of God. Saturate yourselves in God. Number two, memorize Scripture. Well, that's too hard. I can't do that. No, that's a cop-out. You can do that. I don't care who you are. Every one of us can memorize Scripture. So I'm just no good at that. Well, all you do is to read it a hundred times. And then you got it. Some just read it once and they've got it, but some of us read it a hundred times. And the more you read it, the more powerful it is. So read it a hundred times. That's okay. But when you read it and read it and read it and read it and speak it and speak it and speak it and speak it, it gets into your mind. And the Word transforms you. Memorize Scripture. And thirdly, slow down. Your life is too busy. My life is too busy. We're always on the go. We're going 97 miles. I already confessed to you. I hate roundabouts because they make me slow down. But if I'm going to be transformed in my mind, I've got to slow down. I've got to find a way so I can be still and know that He is God. I've got to find a place where I can wait upon the Lord. Because when I wait upon the Lord, what did Isaiah say? He will renew my strength. Oh, come on, folks, you're running out of energy. You think you're dying. You think you're not making it. The answer is to slow down and let God reveal himself in your heart and in your life. Well, how do we do that? Turn off the TV. Turn off your cell phone. Turn off your computer. Turn off the voice of your nosy neighbor. Come on. Find a place to slow down where you shut everything else out and you purpose to hear from God. So Paul says, you want to live a victorious life, this is the way you do it. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. For this is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. See, Paul said if we do that, we prove the will of God. 
He didn't say we find the will of God. He didn't say we discover the will of God. He said we prove the will of God. Now, what does that mean? It means that because you and I submit our lives as living sacrifices, Tom, would you come back, please? Living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, then God's life flows through us. And every time someone encounters us, we are living proof that God died on the cross for the sin of mankind, that God is alive, that God is real, that God is not dead, that God is powerful, that God is able. We are proving the will of God. We are proving the will of God. Now, in that proving, you may discover His will for your life. You may fall into what He wants you to do when you determine to prove the will of God. Jessica and Daniel, will you stand, please? Right where you at, just stand, turn around, let everybody see you. We were having dinner with Jessica and Daniel this past week. There are new youth leaders, if you didn't know it. And, and they made a statement, you know, Daniel is in medical school at FSU. He applied to 22 different schools. The only place he was accepted was Florida State University. It's an amazing story. And a few months ago, they began helping me with the youth, and he was speaking in youth, and then they said, we feel like God is calling us to do this. And this past week, I think it was Jessica that said, we were talking, and I said to Daniel, Daniel, what if we really didn't come to Tallahassee for medical school? What if we came to Tallahassee to invest in these kids? What am I saying? I'm saying when you prove the will of God, you're going to find the will of God. When you prove the will of God, the will of God is going to find you. Maybe is a better way to say it. Oh, come on, church. We need to know this is our reasonable sacrifice. Say it one more time. Reasonable sacrifice. So my question to you this morning is simply this. Have you yielded yourself to Him? Have you presented everything to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Is your family presented to Him? Or are you struggling at home? Is your job presented to Him? Or are you holding on to it, trying to keep control? Is your future presented to Him? Or are you determined to do it your own way and chart your own path? Because the Word tells us we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him. And I guarantee you, I promise you, you can write it in stone. If you will do that, your life will never, let me say it again, if you will do that, your life will never, 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 never be the same. If you're tired of mundane Christianity, present your life a living sacrifice. If you're tired of just going along to get by, present your life a living sacrifice. If you're tired of going to bed and wondering how you're going to make it tomorrow, present your life a living sacrifice. If you're ready to buy into what God has for you, if you're ready to say, Lord, I'm here today for one reason, one reason only, I'm going to present my life a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto you. This is my reasonable service because of what you did for me. If that's you, right where you at, stand your feet across this room. If that's you, and that's your desire, stand your feet across this room. 
you're not serious about it, stay in your seat. I'll talk to you in a minute. But if that's your desire, stand your feet. Tom's going to sing an old song. You've all heard it. You probably all know it. It simply says, I have decided. Remember, transformation begins in the mind as God is the catalyst to bring the power to enable us to change. So we make a decision. I'm not going to live the way I've always lived. Today, I'm deciding to follow Jesus. Today, I'm going to embrace my reasonable service. Sing it out. I have decided. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com. 